Welcome in, everybody, to Sad Times. We appreciate you joining us. My name is Kevin. Uh, I'm the host of Sad Times. For those of you who have never listened um, or are regretting your decision pressing play, let me catch you before you leave. Uh, Sad Times is a show in which I bring on a guest every week. and we talk about times they were sad, upset, um, angry, uh, any time that they were overwhelmed by emotion um, and how they felt, how those around them felt, um, and kind of to share that story. We as people have all have multiple stories to tell. Uh, and unfortunately, I feel we're not – we often – don't talk about the stuff that troubles us as much, um, but I feel like talking about this type of stuff is exactly what helps one who's going through something feel less alone. And I think in struggling with, uh, at least my struggles with anxiety, depression, mental health, um, I have always felt better when I feel less alone in what I'm struggling with. So, you know, the goal of the show is not to diagnose, uh, not to, um, you know, fix anything that's going on. It's, it's to have courageous and kind people come on and tell their their story or stories uh, so that people at home can hear those stories and and perhaps glean a little uh, empathy from it, feel less alone, et cetera. So um, that's what it is. Uh, that's sad times. And, and this week, um, we are going to have my friend Jeremy on the show. Jeremy, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Doing great. It's a beautiful day here, uh, and I'm glad to be on. Where now? Where is here? Uh, Hurricane Mills, Tennessee. Hurricane Mills, Tennessee, and that's where Loretta Lynn's from, right? Yes, um, she she lived well. She lived uh, just right across a little hill from us. Never got to meet her, but uh, I know a lot of her her I know her daughters and her grandchildren. So uh, she she means a lot to the congregation I work at. The church burned down in the nineties, and she helped rebuild it. So it was, really means a lot. Yes. Okay. You say congregation you worked at. What do you What do you do with the congregation? I am I am the the preacher. Basically, I'm the hot air that keeps that that keeps the place warm during the during the winter. Um. Well, luckily in Tennessee, it does. I mean, it gets cold in Tennessee. I I just live there, but it doesn't get that cold. So you don't. Well, hopefully, this, you don't have this, to expel too much hot air. Sorry. Go ahead. This past This past week, we were down in the negatives, and I, uh. I walked outside saying, I want to feel like I want to know what it feels like. And I regretted every second I was outside. Yeah. And I bet you each second uh, felt like a uh, an hour. Well, it fa- probably felt like my sermons each minute felt like an hour. So yeah. you know, it's one of those things. Which let's start with one of your sermons now. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, okay. <laughs> How long have you been uh, a minister or pastor at um, just in general? Uh, I started preaching. Uh, I, my first sermon was at. 12 so i'm 43 so it's been 31 years so maybe i'll get it right one day well practice makes perfect is a sticker that's right in front of me here which by the way um i did forget to mention our sponsor uh so i I do have to do that um uh, as longtime listeners of sad times know sad times is brought to you by fuck cigarettes that's fuck cigarettes and it's not fuck cigarettes it's their brand name is fuck and their cigarettes. So next time that you're feeling stressed or feeling down, just lean back and light up a fuck. Sad times. Okay. All right. Moving on. Okay. So you said you're 43. You preached your first sermon at 12. Do you remember what the subject of that sermon was by any chance? No, but I remember where I was. Where were you? Uh, I was in Lexington, Kentucky in front of 343 people. 
because I still have the letter that says, thank you for doing that. I can't remember the topic, but I remember exactly where I was. Um, did you live in Lexington at the time? No, I, I was up there to youth rally. And one of the people that worked for the kids said, you want us to preach? And I said, sure. Sure. Why not? Well, yeah. Why not? You know, try it. Um, okay. And how long have you been at your current um, uh, uh, church? 14 years. Okay. Right on. Um, so, you know, Jeremy, I, one thing I want to call out to people, um, I, I, this is the first time I've seen Jeremy like talking, we're on a zoom call. Um, but Jeremy did one of the more kind things that anybody's done for me, uh, a couple of years ago, I'm on, um, uh, Brent's podcast, hysteria 51. And I think I'd mentioned on there at some point that I love the Cubs or, um, my grandma and I really bonded over the Cubs and, uh, Jeremy was kind enough to send a book to Brent about the Cubs, uh, as well as I believe a Loretta Lynn record. And that was just an unbelievably kind and thoughtful thing to do. So that's kind of the first way that I met you as it were, but we never met in person. Uh, we no. just kind of know each other because of, uh, because of the internet. And, um, you know, I know that you expressed interest in being on the show, so it's good to see you and talk to you and see you for the first time. Well, hey, and I'll tell you, um, I know with, with the company you know, I work with, Fourth Hand, uh, I've gotten several things from them. I, in fact, over on my wall here, I'll show you. Okay. See if I can turn the uh, Stereo 51. Oh, thing hell yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and I've got my, my daughter put the Fourth Hand uh, sticker on one of her cars that she has that she pushes around. I said, hey, look, Mr. Brent. Oh, really? That's awesome. It's like, well, all right. Now, now we're stuck with it. So that's now. right. <laughs> how how old's your daughter? Uh, this one is nine. Uh, the one I've talked about. I have a fourteen year old as well. Okay. She tried on a, uh, a formal dress, and I thought, oh gosh, I'm going to have to kill somebody. <laughs> uh, so this is the last time you'll be hearing look. from Jeremy. Yeah, this is the last time you hear me uh, out out in public. I'll be uh, in, in incarceration pretty soon. <laughs> Um, okay. So you, did you grow up in Tennessee? I did. I grew up in a, in a town called, uh, Bonacqua, Tennessee. Whereabouts in the state is that just, um, if you are familiar with Nashville, mm -hmm. go 40 miles West, turn left on I-72 I and get lost and you'll find it. All right. Cool. I mean, that's basically where it is. We're, we're located outside of Dixon County, uh, where my parents live there now. It's in Hickman County. I grew up in that area. I have a lot of fond memories of that place. It's a beautiful area. Uh, it, there's nothing better than a hometown, man. And I, I was so resistant. I just wanted to get out of my hometown so bad. But now when I go home, yeah, there's nothing better than being at home, I guess. Is there what there, there isn't. There isn't. And, and it'll kind of come into play with what we're going to talk about Um Mm -hmm. In just a minute. Yeah. So, um, 12 years old, uh, when you, when you preach first sermon to 343 people in Lexington. Mm -hmm. Um, but I know that you, um, like a number of people I know, including myself, um, have, have struggled with depression and anxiety throughout your life. Right. Um, when do you, when did you kind of first feel that coming on first realize that something was a little different or you were feeling different? I was a happy kid. Um, every picture, you know, if you grew up in the 80s like I did, you had those shorty shorts and those that neon color short. I mm -hmm. was always happy, even though I was wearing the shorty shorts that should not <laughs> be allowed on anybody. Yeah. Um, around 13, 
or 14 in that area, I started feeling different. Didn't know what it was. Didn't okay. understand anything. High school wasn't good for me. Good to me. Uh, something was wrong and I didn't understand it. Of course we heard, I heard the word depression, anxiety, but most of the time when, when it was mentioned, I had good people, good hearted people try to quote scripture to me and tell me I should not be depressed because I'm a Christian, which makes it absolutely worse. Mm -hmm. Then, did, then did you think you were doing something wrong? Oh, absolutely. I yeah. did. Uh, absolutely. Even now, um, I'm trying to break the stigma about this, end it. But even now, I have good people come up to me and say, you know, they quote scripture, be anxious and nothing, but in everything with supplication, make a request made known to God. They they quote me that. And I know that verse by heart. I'm like, well, thank you. That makes it all better. I didn't even think of that. That's what I always say. Oh, I didn't think about I didn't. I don't have to worry. Oh, shit. Why didn't somebody tell me that? I am now done worrying. Um, yeah. 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 There was a picture I saw online about like a demon leaving a person and said, that's what happens when somebody say, don't be depressed. It just gone. runs away. Yeah. Uh, and it ends up in whatever horrible container Brent has over there that keeps shaking. Um, so how did that, when you say that you were anxious and depressed, how did that manifest? Like how, how were you, how was it manifesting in your day-to-day -day life? Um, that happy kid went away really fast. Um, I didn't find enjoyment in things that I used to. I was more solid, you know, I was more by myself. In fact, I preferred it. Uh, but I wondered at the same time, why don't I have friends? So do you mean like you kind of withdrew and did not want to engage in friendships when you say you were by yourself? Yeah, I was... You know, in, in high school, you try to figure out who you are. And I tell people now, uh, don't do that. You've got a whole life to figure that out. Don't make high school be who you are. Um, mm. I finally figured out who I was in college and enjoyed every bit of that. But in high school, I was to the point where, um, you know, I, I wasn't around people. I was very withdrawn. Uh, I tried to fit in and realized I didn't. And, and it kind of got to me eventually it got to the point where I didn't want to go to school. Uh, I did, obviously I did, I graduated, but it was, it was to the point I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to do anything. Uh, like you kind of just wanted to stay in bed type of didn't want to do anything or you no, just didn't want to leave I the house. Did, I just didn't want to leave the house. Okay. I felt safe in the house, you know, my Friday nights, and I just started rewatching this series. My Friday nights were sitting in front of the TV at seven or eight o'clock watching the X-Files. That's how, that's how exciting I was. Mm. I mean, it was just, that's what I did. Um, I just didn't have a life out there. I, I, I worked at Long John Silver's and on Saturday and then Sunday I went to church and then Monday I started all over again. Uh, and so you weren't, you weren't even making friends at, at Long John Silver's church, I mean, church I, was a big. I had friends. I had friends at church, but they lit, went to a different school. They Got were it. on the other side. They were mm -hmm. on the other side. Okay, I had a lot of friends at church, but they were not anywhere near me during the week. I think what you're really trying to say, Jeremy, is that we should not hold on to sixteen as long as we can. Uh, no, that song. Uh, <laughs> that song does not have much to do with reality. No, it doesn't. <laughs> because uh, wait. Is Tasty Freeze in that song? 
Yeah. Okay. I don't even. I don't we even don't know. even have a tasty freeze down here. I think yeah. the closest thing we have is a Dairy Queen. I love a good Dairy Queen. Yeah. So you didn't want to go to school. I, look, I think one way or another, some kid always says, I don't want to go to school. But what it sounds like you're describing to me is not, oh God, I hate homework. Oh, I don't want to listen to lectures, blah, 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 blah. It's like, I don't want to leave the house because I feel unsafe. Well, let's say this, it maybe not so unsafe. I didn't feel like my physical body, but I didn't understand what was going on mentally. Yeah. Um, When I got my junior year, I figured out where I wanted to go to school and I worked toward that. I had a goal college Mm -hmm. and I was willing to work toward that. But my sophomore and freshman year, I just didn't have a lot of drive, I guess. Kind of get up, go to school, go to Long John Silver's church, rinse, repeat, and not getting a lot of meaning out of it. Not not getting a lot of meaning, no. So did you get into the school you were looking to to go to? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, four years later, I graduated with several thousand dollars worth of debt, but I graduated. Hey, (laughs) and uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to This is Sadly the America that we live in. Okay. Um, (laughs) When you – did uh, depression show itself when you were in college? Yes. Yes, it did. Um. And it's funny how this works, but I, I'm I'm actually married, going to be 20 years in May. Uh, but I dated a girl in college that I thought she was it, and we broke up. And for about two or three months, it was just nothing. In fact, my mom actually came up to me and said, "Something's wrong. I'm worried about you." She could I mean, just they see were actually it. Worried. She could just see it. Mm-hmm. Do you I, when you nothing. get really sad? Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Said nothing. I did was I just never smiled. Yeah. Um, it's so it, you kind of wear it all over your face, your body when you're, when you're having a hard time or it was just that you just were not showing any joy. Probably all the above. Okay. Um, probably all the above. Yeah. And how long were you kind of in that funk? About two or three months, about <laughs> two or three months. And, um, I snapped out of it. It was funny how that happened. It just, all of a sudden I woke up. I'm like, wait a minute. I, this is not who I am. I'm 20 years old. I cannot be like this. And I did snap out of it for, for, uh, for several years. You did. Okay. Um, it, it was there, but it wasn't hanging over me. And you were able to not let it be the main driver of your day. Kind of. Right. Right. Uh, you said for several years, but that I guess implies that it kind of came back. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. It came back. Uh, how old were you when that happened? Um, it was lingering around for several, several years. I could just feel something in the back. Uh, but probably by the time I was 34, uh, I, I got diagnosed with, with depression and anxiety. Um, I don't know exactly the terminology. It's been several years, but, um, I was driving home from a lectureship at the college I went to. And got so bad with me that I was looking for a road uh, on the road. It was ice that day. I was looking for a place just to accidentally, quote, accidentally drive off the road and and kill myself. And that is the closest that I've ever gotten to suicide or suicidal thoughts that bad. Um, And and I'm glad that my wife was there. My family was there. We I got help. um, But it's not just a. You know, I got help one time. I went to a, uh, a psychiatrist one time. It was a constant thing that is even going on till today. 
Uh, and how, what was the, well, actually, sorry, first. So you're, you're telling me that you were in such a state at that time that you were driving and you were like, maybe there's a way I can drive on the ice and it will look like I had a wreck and then I can be out of this paint. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Um, and so you said it's been you, you, because uh, the support of your family, um, you were able to seek help and you said it wasn't just a one-off deal. Tell us about your journey and, and, um, you know, where you first started getting help, what it was like, how that's been for you. Well, the, the, the first place I went to, to get help, it was more, he was training and Hmm. I get it that people, I even me, I'm going back for my master's in, in counseling as well. And I know I'd have to have a training course or two and, and learn. But it's almost like he was there because he had to be. And it kind of like, well, he's not interested. And, and I've actually found, uh, found a couple of counselors that I've had that just seemed like they were just there. And uh, I, I can't imagine doing this every day, seven or eight times a day. It's got to be draining. Yeah. Uh, but you also want to see that somebody's actually interested in your help in, in helping you. Um, but my journey from where I was at 34 to now has, has been a lot of counseling, a lot of medication. Uh, you know, people, people laugh at medication. Um, it's a lifesaver. It really is. Uh, I'm taking something now for anxiety. I'm taking something to help me wake up and I'm taking something to help me go to sleep. Otherwise, I would not sleep. I would be up for hours upon end um, with the anxiety. Uh, my depression would keep me from moving, at least with the medication that gets me going. Uh, you know, you, you learn to adapt to things, even though you don't like it. Yeah. I don't like taking medicine, but that gummit, it's, it's really, it's really helped. So, why don't you like taking it? Um, I don't in the back of my mind. And, and this is something I, it's not real, but in the back of my mind, I'm looking at it as a crutch. I should be further than I am, but I also realize I'm on my own schedule. So no one else can tell me I should be further than I am other than me. It to, It's not a crutch, but part of me feels like, I shouldn't have to use it. I, I appreciate you saying that uh, because I think it's super duper important um, that you share something like that. Cause I feel that way or have for years on being on medication. Like it's a crutch, even though I know that's not what it is. And then you use the phrasing, I should be blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, and I was talking to another friend of mine and it's, it's like, it should be what, but based on whose rules. Right. And so it, not only is it like, oh, I'm taking medication. Oh, we don't really talk about that as much in society, but it's also like I'm taking medication and I have this inward struggle about it, even though I know it's helping me. And I think that's something that a lot of people really go through. It is. Um, if you're out there taking medicine uh, and, and and we're going to talk about it, just a minute. take it when it's prescribed, take it every day. Don't miss. And But good gracious, when they get you off of that stuff. Mm hmm. I've been taken off of a couple of medicines. You feel like your world is about to end. So there's drawbacks, but I think the benefits outweigh those drawbacks in a lot of ways. So uh, what, when you say that you feel like your world is about to end when you're going off that medication, can you, what do you mean by that? I mean, I know what that means, but like, can you give me an example of that yeah. feeling? Yeah. Um, not this one that I'm on was on, but the one before that, they said, we want to take you down gradually. And 
I was down about a week or two on half doses, couldn't sleep, couldn't concentrate. It just felt like things were just spiraling out of control. Then I got on the medicine that I was on before th- this one, and if things kind of righted it. But my goodness, when your body gets used to it, your mind gets used to it, getting off of it, even for a, a day or so, was rough. Yeah. Um, I think I'll interject there too. When I was on, I was overprescribed, at least in my estimation, some medication when I was in college. Um, and instead of having a conversation with a psychiatrist about it, I just would stop it and start it and stop it and start it. And that just is a very bad idea uh, because you're just wreaking havoc up there. So, uh, you know, if you are going to go off the medication, you do it with a doctor and in a way that that you can kind of go off. And, and, and you know, it's hard, too, because you say don't miss a dose. Sometimes, uh, you know, you'll miss a dose, but just take it when you can't like, oh, I've realized I missed yesterday. I'll take today and we'll move forward. Don't double. Don't double. No, up. don't. Yeah, no, yeah. no. Unless you're going to be right. in the presence of Brent. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, I was on Paxil in college for migraines, for uh, migraines? having depression and migraines. Oh. I, I, I never thought of that. And I was on it for about a month and I started thinking, I'm not interested in anything. I'm a 20 year old guy, not even interested in ladies, just nothing. Yeah. So I, I, I thought I need to get off of this and I took myself off and I would felt like the world was spinning. Uh, but I miss, I'm on mirtazapine right now, Kevin, that uh, if you're not, if you're on mirtazapine, you know what I'm talking about. I tell my wife, you can tell me anything about nine 30, and I will not hear you because I'm out. I yeah. missed one night and I couldn't sleep. So luckily, I mean, I was up from 11 till 6 the next day. Luckily, I had Spider-Man on PS4 and I, I beat the game that night. That was the only saving grace about that day. Uh, how long? So um, you said mirtazapine, you said? Yes. Yeah, uh, don't even ask me how to spell it. It's it's greek according according to my little outline here i have also spelled it incorrectly um so that helps you sleep then right it'll uh, if the world ended tonight i would know it tomorrow gotcha it's that good wow um okay what what uh else are you on currently uh right now it's on oh what else am i i'm abuse prone for my anxiety uh, which with my daughter that I've got, I need it for her, especially. Um, and then I'm on Cymbalta. This is my newest one, and it's more for the depression, which uh, it's still kind of getting in my system, but I could tell I'm more alive. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say happier, but I'm more alive. Okay. And you, I know you said that, <clears throat> excuse me, when, when you were 34 uh, and you had that incident while driving and you reached out right. for help, you started with a trainee. Uh, you seem to imply that you saw a couple different people and sometimes it felt like they were there. Again, I think, and this is not me trying to shit on people or fault anyone in their profession. I just think sometimes it doesn't, you know, therapy with the therapist that you're first with doesn't always mesh, but that at least in my experience has never meant that it wasn't worth to continue to try. So, Oh yeah. And, and I eventually got insurance that covered different places and I got into one right now that um, his name is Ryan and and his, uh, I am further today in three or four months of, of talking with him than I had been in years. Really? 
Yeah. In just three or four months. And how many, you know, from 34, so about nine years ago, based right. on what you said, how many therapists would you say that you've, you know, kind of engaged with? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 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 So uh, almost once a year, one a year. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's a lot of turnover. I get that. Uh, but for me, Kevin, I want to know how real you are. If, if I'm going to open up to you, I want you to open up to me and to become real with me. And it's kind of hard to do that when somebody is saying, well, I'm going to be gone next week. Yeah. Like, right. And then you have to, you have to start over and you have to you rebond start, with a new person and tell yeah, yeah. You, it's not a safe state. Uh, I tell people I finally beat Mario three because I was able to <laughs> save each level. Now it's not like that. You have to start all over again and rehash things that you thought you had already covered with such and such. You can't just start all over again. They have the notes, yeah. but have you ever taken notes, you know, took somebody else's notes that you missed a class. It's not the same as you doing it. Right. There's, there's so many gradations of, of, of how you say things that mean different things to different people. Right. Real quick side question. What's your favorite of the eight worlds in Mario three? Oh gosh. Um, I really like the first one. I do. I love the first one too, mainly because I can beat them. Well, it, because I was able to go through every level and get all the special ones at the end, I beat the eighth level through the P wing and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I cheated but I did it and doggone it. I'm, I'm going to stand on that. Darn right. Well, wait, if you're saying using the P wing is cheating, I take issue with that, sir. The well, P the princess you know, see, kindly gave that to you. Well, if, if, if people say you're not a purist, I'm like, well, I beat the game. That's all that matters to me. Yeah. Well, right. Um, and we have now exhausted my knowledge of video games. Great. Well, there you go. Um, okay. So you've had seven therapists in nine years, but uh, Ryan, this gentleman that you're seeing now last three or four months has, has been, super uh positive for you absolutely um he is he is real and uh i like uh hold on a sec i work kind of happened here all right um yeah he's real and he's uh, he's been connecting to me and and we start out talking about sports and why i'm sad with the titans <laughs> so uh but yeah, yeah, Ryan's good. Um, yeah, and I, again, in my, you know, I was first told to go to therapy at eight. Um, and I said, what took you guys so long? But uh, it's it, it's even conversations like that. I know you have a podcast called Football is Family. Yeah. Um, so you, obviously football means a lot to you. So to be able to just even talk to your therapist, not about like today, this sucked, this sucked, this sucked. It's like, oh, this is what I care about. Oh, you care about that too. We can talk like normal people. That's right? that's the whole goal. Um, yeah. That's the whole goal. In fact, uh, I've had this podcast since 2020, and each May 2021, 2022, I've done several episodes on mental health because that's Mental Health Month. Mm -hmm. And I've used, you know, this, I don't make any money off of this podcast. It's more of a fun thing, but I want to help people in the process. Yeah, for sure. Um, my calendar every month is Mental Health Month. Um so you do you do you just go because of the meds or are you finding that um, also you're before Ryan, uh, obviously you're getting a lot out of your your conversations with Ryan. Were you just going because of the meds and they are the people who prescribed it or, or what kept you coming back? 
Yeah, probably that. But I was in one person in particular, I was making progress. And then she was the first one I had at this place. And then after that, no, actually, excuse me, there were eight. I forgot about there was one that was I was there only there for one meeting and then he left and then I went to another person. So, yeah. Um, So I've stuck with them because uh, Ryan does not prescribe medication. It's at another place. But um, I go to them to because here's the thing. I don't like taking medicine. It's not wrong to take medicine, but I don't like it. But if I knew if I stopped tonight, Mm -hmm. I would be back where I was nine years ago and I don't want to do that. Yep, exactly. There's a reason that they're there and they're not perfect, but they, there are so many positives. I call them my, um, Kevin can be around people now pills, uh, because without them, I'm just a mess. It's terrible. Um, yeah. So when you, have you had that case, kind of what I was talking about? Have you ever done the thing where you take it and don't take it, take it, don't take it. Um, here, here's the thing, Kevin. I'm self-destructive. When I get depressed, I get self-destructive. It's not that I hurt myself physically because obviously you can't tell. I don't cut. I don't hurt myself. Mm-hmm. But I do things that that mentally or psychologically hurts myself. And then I say, yep, you deserved all that. And there are times when I'm in that mood that um, I I do forget to take my medicine. There's been a couple of days where I haven't taken it. And I was like, why do I feel like this? Oh yeah. That could be why. Do you, when you're having those, those, those times where you're, as you said, uh, I'm going to paraphrase you, but you know, psychologically being unkind to yourself and hurting yourself. Yeah, Are you aware is. that you're doing that at the time or it just feels like I deserve all of this and this isn't, you don't see it as a symptom of your depression. Nope. Right. Nope. Isn't um, that, it hmm. only, it happened when my mind finally got clear with medication, I realized that's what I do. Yeah. Um, and that's the real, one of the many, many shitty things about mental health struggles is it, it tricks you almost every time. It's like, uh, oh, yeah. you can look, you know, therapy, med- medication experience. You can look back and be like, oh, that was definitely my anxiety or that was this. But in the moment, it feels like the most real thing in the world and it's terrible. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. And you hurt yourself and you feel like you deserve it, but you also take people down with you that don't deserve it. Right. Or you expect that, well, at least in my case, I don't want to speak for you. Um, you know, you expect them to fix something that they don't even know is broken or they know they don't even know they need to be attending to. Absolutely. Um, what, what do you think is, what do you think therapy is really about? Obviously it's let's talk about X, Y, and Z and, and work through it. What do you think it's, what do you think is a real good takeaway for you and your experience with therapy? Well, it's, it's the, the th- same thing that I get now when I counsel people. Um, it's more equipping other people to be better in their own mind, what they think is better. Um, I learned when I started preaching, people ask me questions and I'll give them an answer mm-hmm. and it would be my answer. Uh, and they would try to apply my answer to their life and it wouldn't work. And I'm like, why is it not working? And I realized it's not their answer. If it was their answer, they would own it and they would do it. So one thing I learned from counseling is that when people 
people joke, well, you know, counselors, they say, well, how does that make you feel? There's a reason why they ask you that mm-hmm. because they're not trying to give you the words. They're giving you a sounding board to become a stronger person or become more aware, self-aware, self-awareness. That's what it is. Yeah. Self-awareness. Um, thank you, consciousness. You're just so pleasant. Um, yeah, I, I think that's so true. And I, I do in my like everyday life, sometimes people will say, oh, I'm struggling with this. And I'll start to be like, well, what you should do is blah, 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 blah. And that's not generally, not always. Sometimes they're like, well, what should I do? Generally, people don't want to be told how to solve it. They want to be heard, at least in my experience. Right. And um, it, just in hearing them and, and allowing them to speak, you, you do a world of good uh, for people, I think. You do. Um, and you said you're getting your master's? Yeah, yeah. I've, I finished my first uh, semester, six hours down, uh, 30 more to go. I'm excited about it. Uh, I learned, I didn't know that a master's paper has to have 20 sources and be double spaced. Uh, the last time I wrote a paper was in 2001, and I made an 80 on that paper, which took me from a 4.0 down to a 3.88, which kind of bothered me in a way, but I'm like, Jeremy, you're happy. You should be happy as an A. It's you, an a. you had a 3.88 grade point average? I, I don't know how long I'm going to keep it. But, you but did. my goodness, I'm excited yeah. about it. Yeah, I that's mean, pretty I, awesome. I, I, if I could do a backflip, if I wasn't old and white, I would do a backflip for that. Um, 20 sources. Hmm. Didn't know that. I usually I used five. Five? <laughs> oh, okay. Which five Hysteria 51 episodes was it? Well, well, the the Bell Witch one was the one that I quoted the most. There you go. There you yeah, go. I've been there, been there, done that. That's an awesome place, by the way. Awesome. Um, you, um, thank you for sharing all of that. You know, again, it's more common than I think anybody realizes. But again, not a lot of people talk about it. And I'm going to say again, again, because I like to say again. You had mentioned earlier you had a a, a daughter uh, who has a fourth hand sticker. And then you have another yes. daughter. I have um, another audience. And then um, tell me about that text, that my oldest sent. Uh, I think John and Brent uh, some pictures of her wearing Hysteria Fifty One stuff. Uh, they absolutely love love Brent, and uh, they think Seabot is is funny too. So, well, um, no offense to your children, but I think Seabot's an asshole. But that's just me. Well, um, I, I don't. I don't want to tell them otherwise, but you know, I'll let them hey, hold on. Yeah, you know what? Right. It's that's that's your answer, not theirs, right? As hold we on saying. to 14 as long as you can. That's right. That's right. Uh Hysteria 51, by the way, for anybody who's listening who's not aware of it, you should check it out. It's a wonderful podcast co-hosted by the producer of this show, Brent. Um, and again, that's how I first really knew of Jeremy again, uh, because I'd been on Hysteria 51 before. Um, so you have two daughters, um, right. and you said you've been married 20 years. Is that uh, right? in May it'd be 20 years? Congratulations. That's awesome. May what? I, I, I definitely, uh, outkick my coverage. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you have two daughters, um, and you had a son, correct? I, I did Connor. Connor. Tell me about Connor. Connor uh, was, in fact, Kevin, if I could find the picture, I'll send it to you right now. Okay. Connor, he was born in uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Okay. Uh, and we, 
he grew up happy. I mean, he was a happy kid. He he's a very smart kid. He uh, thirty four on his ACT, which is um, insane. Yeah, I don't know where he got that one from. Probably from um, your three point eight eight. Well, let's just say that wasn't my college experience. Okay. My college experience was 007 GoldenEye, so that really messed <laughs> me up. Uh, um, I, I want to say for people at home, just to show how remarkable an achievement that is to get a 34 in your ACT, I know a lot of people maybe don't take the ACT. They take the SAT. The ACT, a perfect score. A perfect score is 36. Right. Um, so to get a 34 is remarkable. Sorry to interrupt. He, no, no, he, it's okay. And I sent you that, that picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's him. We, he was a smiling kid. He was smart. He, he, he could do, I mean, just amazing things. He could play, uh, four different saxophones in the band. Um, he was even in, uh, playing drums and things like that. He, uh, he educated me on some things. He tried to play magic with me and I just like, Connor, I can't handle this game. I cannot handle this game. I can handle if you want to play Grand Theft Auto, I'll play that with you. If you want to play Madden, I'll play that with you. But I'm not going to play Magic with you. Um, Too much mana. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Don't <laughs> even get me started. On that game. Uh, if you're into that, hey, more power to you. I am not. Um, he started to experience around the same time that I did depression. Although today, in 2022, um, we understood it more. Uh, mm-hmm. We understood it better. So around the age of 13 or 14, he started to yes. experience it. And how did that? Yes. Um, and, and, and it really, it started to manifest itself more during the lockdown in 2020. Mm-hmm. So that's he, when it really hit. How, how old was he when kind of the, those lockdowns hit in, in March of 2020? Um, he turned 15 that year okay so in fact we um we got him a husky because he always wanted a husky and we we were raising uh his name is cecil after a, i think a video game character mm-hmm. we were raising him during that time and he started to experience that he didn't want to get out of the house uh, he was able to either go back to school or stay at home and he stayed at home and did work and he started getting behind real bad in some classes and picked it back up and did fine. Um, but we started getting him help. Uh, we went, took him to therapists. We took him to, gave him medication. And uh, we found out he wasn't taking his medica- medication at all. Uh, do you think, and maybe you don't know this, do you think that was because he was forgetting? Kind of it, 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 uh, like what you described a few minutes ago where you're in a destructive state? Or do you think he just didn't want to take it? I I try not to speak for other people. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Kevin. Yeah. I, I, I don't. Um, you know, you bring that up. I never thought of that. That's a good point. Um, if he was self-destructive, and I say it in the in the past tense, and we're going to explain it in just a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, I never knew about it, although his hygiene had gone down. Um uh, in a lot of ways and certain he wouldn't leave his room. Uh, we let him have his space, but we took him to therapy. We took him to all these things. We, we helped him the best we could, but we also knew if you over exert yourself and trying to help people, you actually hinder them. I want, can you 
not even to the specific situation you're talking about. Can you expand on that a little bit? Because I'm, I'm, I think that's right. And I think it's something that a lot of us don't even think of. Can you tell, what do you mean by that? If you overexert yourself, you, you end up harming more than not. I, as a preacher, mm-hmm. um, I want everybody to go to heaven. And I have found out that if I go up and I've done this because I got excited one day and I went and asked somebody, are you going to do this and this today? And they got mad. And I realized that you can be energetic and you can be excited, but if you put them on back footing, they will rebel quickly against what you want them to do. You can be supportive But if you're saying this is the best thing for you, you need to do this, you need to do this, more people will bow up Mm -hmm. rather than do what you say. So instead of being, I'm right and you're wrong and you need to do these things, you need to say, go back to what we're talking about with therapy. You need to help them to see the right answer for themselves. And we learned with with Connor in particular, um, we had to have him see that he needed this more than we knew that he needed it. And he did, he got to that point. In fact, he's, he came to our room one night, my wife in my room and said that he was thinking about killing himself. And the next morning uh, he said, I need help. So the next morning we took him to a place in Dixon, just down the road from here. And that's where he started with medicine and helping. Um, How old was he when he, he came to you and told you that? I think he was 16. He was about to turn 17 in March. He turned 17 uh, in, in March, uh, March the 7th. Did he um, Did he specify why or just that he was, was there any reason given or just that? Yeah, yeah, he was, he gave the main reason was he was going, getting behind in schoolwork and that he thought we were, we were disappointed in him. I'm like, Connor, you... In a way, yes, we are, as any parent would be, but my love for you is not based upon your school work or your ACT or whatever that. You are my son. You're my only son. My love for you is the fact that you are my son. And and he knew that. He knew that. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to say before we move on, the picture that you did send, um, for those of you listening, um, is uh, – is this, was this taken? Was this a Chuck E. Cheese photo in in, uh, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama? Yes. All right. So, how old is is Connor here? Uh, about to be three. About to be three. So, for any of you um, who don't know what Chuck E. Cheese is, well, talk about sad times. But um, they have this thing because my my sister had this with her son. It's like they you you do it in a is it like a photo booth? But then they print it and it almost looks like it's drawn, but it's not drawn. Is is that a fair way to describe it? Yeah. Yeah. And Jer- yeah, Jeremy and Connor are both smiling real big in this picture. It's a really lovely picture. Um, so anyway, I wanted to make sure to share that, you know, with everyone. And all joking aside, um, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture. Um, so he comes, he says he's going to kill himself and I need, he asked for help. Right. Most people don't do that. He did. Um, and so you said like the next day you went to a, a facility and you started with the treatment and it sounds like it was medication and then counseling. Yes. Both at the same time. And, and, uh, I'm not really happy with the counseling place that he went to because they basically dropped the ball. And once they found out what happened to him, we have never heard back from them since. 
Well, I'm just leaving it at that. Um, okay. I I'm looking, Kevin, and we're we're hitting around and May May 25th this year. Um, I'll go ahead and jump in, then yeah. I'll jump back. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife, I was getting ready to go to Wednesday night service, um, and I I was getting out of the shower, getting my clothes on, and my wife calls across the house. We finally get internet out here, and she calls me and said, "I cannot get into my son's room." And I started to think, oh, crap. Either he's sleeping really loud or something bad happened. And uh, I knocked the door down only to walk in and find my son uh, with with my pistol, the pistol I carried in my truck um, with a pistol in his hand. And uh, he shot himself in the head. Uh, he was 17 years old. I, I literally broke the door down. I didn't know I could do it, but I did it. He told me that he didn't think he would live past his junior year. And that's when we were getting him help. And he found out that he was behind on a lot of classes. And we told him, this is not the end of the world. You will make it up. We, You can do these things. You just have to do them. Um, May 25th changed my life. In fact, it was two days before I turned 43. Uh, I, Kevin, I smacked his face. I, I thought maybe he's, maybe he's knocked out or something. I smacked his face and I realized he's not knocked out. He's dead. So the first thing is I went out and my wife was screaming. My daughters were wondering what was going on. I said, get back right now. Get out of here right now. You don't need to see this. Um, the last vision I have of my son is him with his, you know, in the movies, they close their eyes when they're dead. They don't. Uh, his eyes were wide open. I didn't move anything. I immediately called 911. They busted through, came through quickly. I called my mother. She started screaming. Um, they went and told my, my grandmother she fainted almost. My granny. Uh, did her thing that she does. Uh, I had to protect my daughters and my wife. And what got me the most about all this, we had some good people from the sheriff's department come out here. And one in particular was trying to tell us that it's not our fault. It's not our fault, yet it is our fault. It's not what we wanted. Absolutely didn't want this for my son. I was looking forward to Kevin, him him graduating, him going off to UT Knoxville, um, him getting married, uh, having, a, having a kid or two. I don't get to do that now. Um, yeah, that's selfish of me in a way, but I wanted him to experience what I experienced, only better. Um, he is buried close to my grandfather and my great-grandfather up in Hilltop Cemetery in in Centerville, right close to where I live. We go by there all the time. Uh, His room, we have to walk by it every day. I am on good medicine, but if I don't keep moving forward, which is probably why I started my master's program, I go back to that moment and... I relive it, the smells, the sounds, the sight. And 
it's like it happened yesterday. In fact, uh, that Sunday that we buried Connor, there was another suicide here in Hurricane Mills or in, actually in Waverly. And I went to the man's house. I don't even know where I found that strength to do it. I just did it. It was the preacher in me. But I want to say this. Um, I am now seven months after finally starting to grieve. There's times where a friend of mine gave me, a, just it's a blew me away. A friend of mine gave me a PlayStation 5. And I'm thinking, Connor, you need to come out and play this with me. Um, a friend of mine is going to give me a PlayStation 2 because I have, for some reason, I've been buying James Bond games. And I'm thinking, Connor would love to play this with, again, it just dawns on me that I don't have that. Uh, my wife got his face tattooed on her back, on her on her shoulder. Uh, smiling when he was smiling uh, i got his initials on my on my arm here with the semicolon uh to remind me uh the semicolon reminds me that your story is not done and that's really kind of helped me with the new ministry uh i want to be there for people when they have that and part of what football family is doing is I remind people, even if you don't know me, message me. I want to be there to help you because no one needs to no one needs to bury their 17-year-old son. Uh no one needs to put you you think that with suicide your problems will be over and maybe it will be, but your family it, it's kind of like you throw a rock in a, a creek and the ripples. You have more ripples than you realize. Uh my daughters are experiencing uh, anxiety at school. My, my, my oldest went to high school this year and she wanted to be there with her brother. Now she can't do it. Um, I Things that I do every day remind me of the fact that Connor's not with us. You, well, a couple things, um, Jeremy. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I cannot even begin to imagine how difficult it is even to talk about it, let alone having experienced it. And the fact that you are um, compassionate enough, brave enough, and kind enough and uh, to come on the show and, and tell this this story, uh, it, it, I, I just can't thank you enough. And I'm so, so, so sorry for your loss. Thank you. Um, can I, I, I want to ask a question. You said, you're just now starting to grieve, I believe, or, or something along those lines. Can you explain to us kind of what, after that horrifying discovery, kind of do you remember um, much after I, that? I don't. Um, I do remember at the visitation that I wanted to be left alone. Uh, I had my AirPods on. Uh, I don't know if anybody out there watched Rooster Teeth on, on YouTube. I was watching them play Grand Theft Auto and just enjoyed just being by myself. And I kept people kept coming up to me wanting to talk to me and say how bad they felt. And I'm like, I don't, I know you mean well, and I don't judge people by their their meaning. I just want to be left alone. I don't even want to be here right now. Mm -hmm. I, I went to the furthest part of the the funeral home, and I was like. Can you just let me grieve by myself? And I couldn't do it. 
And not only that, Kevin, but it, again, it go back to my profession. I've been a preacher for a long time. I've been to several funerals, several, I've done several funerals. I have put up a wall. Uh, like there's a story by Edgar Allan Poe called The Black Cat. Mm-hmm. And I've read it several times before, but I read it again. And I'm like, that's the story that reminds me of what I am. You know, the, the, the man is, he hold, he he put a dead body behind a wall and the cat kept scratching at it. And eventually the police found the body behind the wall. I'm like, that cat is scratching at my wall that I put up through years of this profession. I don't want it to come down because I know if it does, it's going to be more than what I can handle. My wife is concerned. I've had people come up and say, we're concerned about you. Um, I know people mean well, but I don't. Can if you can tell me how to handle losing a seventeen-year-old, I want to know where you got your information from. It might be next year before it fully hits me. It might be tomorrow. It might be tonight. Uh, I haven't wanted to do anything. My, I just have no desire to do much of anything anymore. I know that's part of it, but um, you know, a lot a lot of it has to do with with my job and, and doing this. But a lot of it also has to do with the fact that I I feel like I have to be strong for my family. Um, are you? And that's bad. Are you terrified of you know the way you were just saying it? Not today. Maybe it happens tonight. Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe well, it's I'm terrified. Year. Yeah, I'm absolutely terrified. Uh, because I am terrified of losing control. I don't have much control in my life in the sense of the grand scheme of things. Things happen at times that just out of your control. Uh, But if I lose control tomorrow, I don't feel like I'll ever get it back. And maybe that's overdramatic, but I have been to that point. And I'm not talking about losing my life. I'm just saying, I've been to points with my mental health that I have lost control and it took me a long time to get it back. I've never had it happen with grief. I don't know what that's like. Yeah. Um, So the very little I know about grief, but speaking to somebody um, like yourself who has experienced profound grief is I just learned that there are more layers to grief than I can understand. And, and the way I say that is the way you just said, yes, I'm terrified of losing control. And that's just an, at least what it sounds like to me, tell me if I'm wrong. It sounds like that's another way that grief presents itself. You, you've heard of the stages of grief. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a good g- general guidelines, but in reality it's baloney. What do you You're mean? You're not going to go through grief the same way and you think well once i get to acceptance Mm -hmm. um then it will be over it's more of a cycle if you ever get to acceptance it will come back around and i don't want to lose control i just can't do that and maintain the life that i'm living right now but one day it's going to happen and i'm not going to have much say in it I mean, how many when people came up to me and they lost their 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 children and they say, I know how you feel. I wanted to tell them, no, you don't. Um, And I'm not that type of person. I'm I'm more of a diplomatic person because that's just how I feel like I have to be. 
But if you lost a child at 17 at a car wreck, you don't know how I feel. If you lost a child at 34 to a heart attack, you don't know how I feel. If you, even if you lost a, a child at 17 to a gunshot wound to the head, you still don't know how I feel because you didn't have Connor. You had your son. And in and, and, and the same regard, I don't know how you feel. We might be combined in the sense that we lost children, but the last thing that anybody needs to say, and I, I'm saying this because I know that they're trying to relate, trying to make you feel better. Don't ever say to somebody, I know how you feel because that minimizes what the other person is saying because you're saying it's common. It's not specific to you. It's specific to me. No one had the experience with Connor like I did. No one knows what I'm going through other than me. So maybe you want to help. The best thing I could tell you to do when somebody is grieving is to be there for them. Even if you send them a, a, even if you send them a text and say, I'm here for you whenever you need me. Uh, that's all you need to do. Don't say that I know what you're going through because you don't. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, 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 the idea of the stages of grief uh, being baloney and, and kind of how it's, I think what you were saying is kind of more of a cycle. You get to acceptance, but then it kind of starts all over again. Is that kind of what you were saying? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it's like, cause you, we think the stages of grief, um, you hit a point where it's done. It's a good guideline, but you're never done with it. Mm -hmm. I had a gentleman come up to me. Uh, I've known him all my life. And he said, my daughter died. I might've been two or three at the time. And he said, every time I walk by her, her picture, I cry. And it's been 40 years. Now you can't tell me that he hit an acceptance point and that everything's fine after that. And it's not the, the stages of grief. It, and I'll tell people this, you can be angry, be angry at God. Good gracious. Be angry at God, please. He can handle it. Uh, be angry with the person who did it. Even if it was an accident on a car, be angry at the person. Well, why were you driving at that time? It's okay to feel these things, but at the same time, we have to understand that there's there comes a point where you you things are just out of your hands and you can't handle it. I mean, that's just not something you can do. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. Um, do Do you find yourself? Um, do you find that your grief is showing in ways in um, in uh, you were saying be angry like that you you're being angry and that's one of the ways that your grief is showing. Oh, I I I, uh, I don't have a. Everybody has a temper. I don't have a really big temper, but it's a lot more on edge than it used to be. Mm -hmm. And I don't want it to be. I don't want it to be. I'm not an angry guy. I'm not a guy that's going to come up and start yelling at you for no reason. But my goodness, it it does kind of pop up and, and hit me a lot harder than it normally did. What... Um do you see things that, that spark it or is it just, you don't even know when it's coming? Um, a butterfly could have flapped its wings in China and I would have felt it. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why I, 
I do a lot of my stuff. I go in, I've been going through the James Bond movies by myself mm-hmm. because the bad guy gets beaten. And I think, you know, everything's right in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been going through Smallville and I know what's going to happen at the end. X Files, and because it's just normal. I've been going back to a lot of the music from the 90s that I grew up listening to. Michael W. Smith and Stephen Curtis Chapman, and even even uh, even getting into back into Oasis and things like that. Things that are that I'm used to. It's mm-hmm. just stuff that I, you know, I, I've gone through the whole Dave Matthews catalog again and memorized all the songs again. It's just things that I'm used to, and that feel like uh, there's order in this world. So yeah. Um, how well uh, you, did you say you're watching the James Bond films in order? I did. Uh, I don't recommend doing that. <laughs> but don't watch Moonraker. Moonraker was awful. Yeah, Roger Moonraker's Moore, not great. Roger Moore is a pimp daddy. He is an amazing Bond, but he had an awful movie there. What I do have to ask this. What is your favorite James Bond movie, and who is your favorite James Bond? Okay. See, you, it's a loaded question. Thank you. Loaded question. It's I appreciate play. that because the ultimate Bond – the ultimate bond is Sean Connery, but my favorite mm-hmm. because I love the action is Daniel Craig. But don't watch his movies out of order. They make no sense. And, and um, just try not to watch quantum of solace at all. If you can help it. I, I, I don't I don't that. like that movie. <laughs> I just finished that. Um, the car is awesome. And the introduction song with Alicia keys and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Jack white. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, but you don't watch those movies out of order. Go watch Casino Royale and realize just how awesome Daniel Craig is. Yeah. Uh, but my favorite movie might be uh, either GoldenEye because I have a lot of memories behind it or Dr. No, which is the first one, mm-hmm. or even Casino Royale. So it's one of those three. Yeah. You know, not to linger on this too much, I was a big Bond guy growing up and uh, I was so done with the Pierce Brosnan movies. That by the time that Casino Royale came out in the theater, I didn't see it in the theater. And I regret that because I watched it like, I don't know, six months, a year later on DVD. And I was like, this movie's amazing because it's totally first, different. The first time I watched it, I was like, this is awful. I watched it again. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah, dude. It's um, And it, I think it's an – oh, shoot. Sorry. I hit the mic there. Sorry, Brent. Uh, I think it's an – I was just really mad at what you said about Moonraker. Um, I think that uh, it's important too. something that you said – the bad guy loses at the end. Right. And all is right with the world. Um, right. I always, personally, I always like to say I like sad and art because it makes me feel less alone. But what you're saying makes 1,000% sense because that it, there is the comfort in that and the fact that good will triumph. And at least in this two to two and a half hour movie with this one dude with his weird shark lair or whatever he's doing down there trying to take over the world – uh, to know that freaking lasers. lasers 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 beams um so <laughs> you you said that um connor was going to go to ut knoxville yeah what did he want to study a veteran he wanted to be a vet okay he loved animals yeah and in fact uh uh he they get they accepted him he's honorary member of ut knoxville now and if anybody from ut is listening. Uh, thank you for that Christmas present. It made it made the world it meant the world to my wife. 
Yeah, that's that is incredibly kind and thoughtful. Yes, it was. Um, and um veterinarians are very empathetic kind people, so um yeah. Um I do want to say this. Um I believe that they've changed the suicide hotline, and now I believe it's 988. 988. Uh, call 988. In fact, uh, Kevin, this is something that um, part of the reason why I'm going back from a master's is I want to be more able to help. I'm going to see in the next couple of years being part of that myself if I can. Uh, but 988 nationwide, call at any time, text, even if you don't want to talk. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm more of a texter. I, when people call, it kind of makes like, where are you calling? I like texting. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but call at any time. And uh, yeah, 24 seven, like literally any absolutely, minute. Absolutely, any time. And it's, th uh, it's just like 911, but 988. And there will be some, they redirect you to somebody near you or uh, I they, believe. They'll, they'll find out what state you're in. They'll send somebody to ten, from Tennessee or Illinois or wherever you may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, in, and we'll put that in the show notes. Um, it's just imperative to remember that there's always somebody out there who cares. There's always somebody to help. And I, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that too, obviously, Jeremy, not only with your experience, but with what you're studying now and, and how you want to help. How, how else would you say that to somebody who's really struggling, you know, um, and, and feeling suicidal? And, and, and I have to say this, that uh, I just got a message. I, I've got to head out work-related stuff okay. in just a second. Mm -hmm. uh, I appreciate this, Kevin, but, and Brent, thank you. Um, there's a darkness in this world, and I'm not talking about a spiritual darkness. That's, that's typically what I do on Sunday and Wednesdays. There's a psychological and mental darkness in this world that you can overcome, but you have to want to do it. Um, if you don't want to do it, nothing anybody can give you or nothing that anybody can help you with will ever overcome it. My son was overcome by the darkness. I have been there. I can relate in a way. I have. I've never looked down the barrel of a gun. I never looked at a bunch of uh, pills or looked at a river. I looked at a, a sheet of ice. Um. You, if you are experiencing this thing now, whatever it may be, it's real. It's not something that will, will quit experiencing. It won't go away. It will not go away. Every morning I wake up, I fight the darkness. And may sound, again, dramatic, but it's what I feel like. I fight the darkness. My son fought the darkness. The darkness won, but his memory is going to make that darkness go away. Uh, Kevin, uh, if you want to put in the show notes as well, my Twitter handle is Jeremy underscore McFarland. Uh, the Twitter uh, on Twitter, uh, they're more. You don't have to listen to my podcast. That's not what I'm there for. You can message me at Jeremy underscore McFarland if you need somebody to talk to. Don't you don't even have to give me your name. Um, can you? I am always there. Yeah, and I know you have to run. Can you just spell that for us, just so yes, I'll put it yes. in the notes, but. Anybody who's yes, listening. Um, J-E-R-E-M-Y mm -hmm. underscore M-C-F-A-R-L-I-N. Great. Um, I'm available 24-7. The mirtazapine kicks in. I will get back to you the next yeah. day. I promise you I will do that. Uh, you're not alone. 
I may not understand your situation. The people at 988 might not understand your situation, but you are worth it. You are worth every second of every day that you have on this earth. You are not alone. Um, I have done funerals of 98-year-old people. I did one yesterday, 98-year-old people. I've done one of 14-year-old girls. The hardest funeral that I've ever done was a 17-year-old boy that shared my name and, and my genetics. I am selfish. I miss him every stinking day. Yeah. You, you don't have to go through this, and you're not by yourself. Uh, Kevin, thank you. Uh, your show, uh, and I, I, I'm not just saying, I followed you from the very beginning. I've listened to your shows. I'm amazed at what you are able to do. Uh, just knowing you for a little bit, I'm not amazed anymore. You are that good of a person. Uh, Brent, you're, you're great with helping us as well. Thank you for this. Um, keep in mind, the semicolon, I have this on my truck. The semicolon means your story is not done. Don't end it because what, what, I, what I've heard is suicide is the ultimate ending to, to a problem that may be only temporary. Mm -hmm. um, you, can, you can overcome. The darkness is real, but you can overcome it. Um, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, Jeremy, I know you have to run. I want to thank you so, so much for being so honest and brave and open uh, with with your story today and for sharing that with us. Um, uh, we will put your Twitter handle handle at Jeremy underscore McFarlane in the in the show notes. And um, once again, if you are having struggles with suicidal thoughts or you're worried about that, please do not hesitate to dial 988 and uh, somebody will be there no matter what time. Jeremy, thank you so much for uh, being here today. And um, I really, really appreciate it. Um, and for sharing your story, uh, it was brave and courageous and I really appreciate it. And for everybody who's listening, um, thanks for listening and um, <clears throat> we'll see you next time on Sad Times. Thank you. You've been listening to a fourth hand joint.